Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host, Judy Como. I am here looking out the soggy, foggy windows here in Bryan College Station, but that's okay. We know the sun is shining somewhere, kind of like our faith life, Thaddeus. The S-O-N is there even though we can't see it, and our Lord Jesus is also Good morning, Judy. How, How are, are you doing? doing? I am just doing grand. Awesome. Always good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be seen. I'm so happy to be here. Um, this show uh, that we're going to play in a little while is a recorded interview. Uh, so excited uh, for our listeners to hear this interview of one of our seminarians in the diocese, Isaiah Minky. Um, a former volunteer here, mm-hmm. a trainee at the radio station, and mm-hmm. I was just so blessed to run into him at our diocesan youth conference in January, and we agreed uh, to have this interview, and we he called in last week, and so listeners get ready to hear a wonderful faith story of his uh, his life leading up to being called to be a seminarian and his um, experience there. And we're going to, he shared uh, some thoughts about the theological virtues of faith and hope, something much needed to be heard, I feel. And um, so listen in. I want to welcome all of our listeners to Red Sea Roundup here locally in Bryan College Station on KEDC 88.5 FM. Our listeners in Waco, Central Texas, KYAR, and in Palestine, KINF 107.9. So welcome to everyone. Uh, We have a lot to talk about, Thaddeus. Yes, we do. We're running down to the end of the first part of Ordinary Time. Yes, we are. Great season. Yes, we are. And um, so we're going to start off with that subject and Lent. Uh, We have one week away to prepare for the beginning of Lent. And if we, just much like everything else in our life, we have a week to kind of really get our brain wrapped around uh, some ideas that could help us really dig deeper in our faith. And um, as I was driving here this morning, kind of trying to get my thoughts straight, and if you know me, that's a difficult situation. But... You don't have to say that about yourself. I would think that there's some listeners who might even be experiencing Lent for the first time. Maybe there's people in RCIA who have uh, got into the habit of listening uh, to the radio and maybe this program. Quite possible. I hope so. But um, so I don't want to assume that all of our listeners know what Ash Wednesday is and what Lent is. So I kind of have a little list of some questions and answers, Thaddeus, that I thought maybe we could talk about. Yeah, can I, first let's, let's, let's back us up a little bit, and this Sunday, 
This is the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. If you want to, you can take up a really quite ancient tradition, which is burying the Alleluia. Correct. Okay. I've never, I knew that we won't sing it anymore, and that was right. part of my teaching on, but I've never so heard old, of this. So an old custom was uh, in, the, in the old Vespers, uh, on the Sunday before, evening, vesp- evening prayer Vespers, bef- on the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, uh, you sang the Alleluia twice before two, um, two hymns, and then it was put away until from the liturgy until Easter Vigil. And then a, a custom arose around that of— Oh, yes, it is correct. Sorry. Of, uh, physically, literally— Burying the Alleluia, putting it on a piece of paper or on a scroll and taking it out to the garden plot or maybe around the back of the monastery and putting it in the ground. Wow. Uh, maybe blessing it, some kind of little ceremony, and, and putting it in the ground until you took it out of the ground on the Easter Vigil. So you can do that um, this weekend if you want to as a family. Well, that's an amazing, amazing, uh, I had never heard that. What I started to correct you, but I was wrong in my correction. So uh, what else changes liturgically besides the no alleluia for the... The gloria goes away. Mm -hmm. Until? I believe Holy Thursday. Exactly. And when uh, bells are rung during the singing of the Gloria, and they are silenced until the Easter Vigil. Mm-hmm. Very dynamic. Um, yes, indeed. You know, to wonder, our church just has such beauty and teachings that they Because we're an incarnated to, religion. We take the incarnation extremely seriously yeah. because of the Eucharist, and that radiates out into everything that we, that we do. So we have little customs like bearing the Alleluia that mm-hmm. come about. We make changes to the liturgy to reflect the reality of preparing for, you know, going into the desert, a, spar- a sparse liturgy, a more stripped-down liturgy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're awaiting yeah. the and And our liturgy and our, our customs and traditions appeal to all of our senses. Right. You know, there's an right. increased use of at, uh, lint, uh, incense and... Um, Yep. There are sights and sounds. There are some traditions of covering the statues at different points during the season of Lent. Mm-hmm. How long is Lent? Forty days. And um, our Spanish um, Catholics here in the Brazos Valley, Spanish-speaking Catholics, they call it Cuaresma. Cuaresma, the forty days. Mm-hmm. Why forty? I wonder. Um, because our Lord was in the desert for 40 days and the Israelite people wandered in the desert for 40 years after they were taken out of Egypt. You get a little check on my paper that I have here. So far you're doing, to, together we're doing I really that, good. I, I didn't know I was going to be put on the spot well, like this, I, but I'm going to put you back on the spot. Let's go. The other question I had about before Ash Wednesday was, of course, a lot of people know about Fat Tuesday, the day before uh, Ash Wednesday, the last day of... Uh, before Lent, you married a Cajun. Yes, I did. You've been uh, adopted into that 
that Louisiana culture, and, and probably that's the most famous iteration of Fat Tuesday celebration in the United States is what happens in Louisiana, yeah. Cajun culture, and in New, well, New Orleans. Do y'all do anything to observe A lot observe of the things Fat that, um, you know, are known by most people are the, you know, Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And uh, we lived in Lafayette. I never went to New Orleans because it was big enough in uh, Lafayette. But the outlying areas of uh, Mamou and Kankton and Scott have... Uh, Courier de Mardi Gras, they they wake up early. Of course, there's lots of revelry mm-hmm. involved in this because you're getting all your partying out before Ash Wednesday, and they dress up, and they ride on horses, and they go from farm to farm, and they have to either dance or perform, and the people give them chickens or vegetables or something and they have to chase these chickens down. It's quite something to see. And then it's all brought back to the town and create a big gumbo. Lots of music and, uh, mm-hmm. like I say, riding on horses. And it's uh, it's mm-hmm. quite a big deal to go experience the off-the-beaten-path, not throwing beads off of a <laughs> off of a float, things that you see yeah. a yeah. little more. I think uh, Galveston and Corpus Christi here have big Mardi Gras celebrations and they have the celebration of the king cake mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, attached to those things. So just a few things. So it's a day of, of celebration, a day of revelry to mm-hmm. say, okay, we're about to go into this desert of sensual um, sp- Spartan asceticism. We're gonna we're gonna not we're gonna not indulge in the, the pleasures of life for, for forty days. And that's right. the day before Ash Wednesday. And then you come to Ash Wednesday, which is March 6th right. this year. And it is. Believe it or not, that's actually not a holy day of obligation. God, another little check on my paper for you. You don't have to go to to uh, Mass on Ash Wednesday, but it's it's very much a pious It's the practice. number one attended yes. Mass and uh, service in our liturgical year. Mm-hmm. Um, here locally, there's probably... 30 opportunities to receive ashes. Uh, so let's talk about those ashes, Thaddeus. What is, where do they get them? I mean, in terms of how are they created? Yes. They are, they're the uh, palms from the Palm Sunday service from the year before that are kept and gathered and then burned and I think, you know, muddled and pounded into, into Mm -hmm. a fine ash and dust. And then that dust is, Blessed, those ashes are are blessed, and uh, you receive them in between the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist and the in the Mass on Ash Wednesday. Yeah, some places have just a service to so, receive the ashes. Uh, true. Saint Saint Joseph's has eight opportunities to receive ashes. Um, St. Anthony's here in Bryan and St. Thomas Aquinas has the same mass times, uh, 7, 12, 15, and 6 p.m. And uh, I would imagine St. Mary's here, since I'm not used to their new bullets and I, I didn't really know, uh, just many, many opportunities here. Uh, and at likewise Mary's, at all the parishes in our listening area. Rudder, uh, lots of opportunities. And so... Um, 
the ashes are placed in the cross on your forehead. And do you know one of the versions of what is said when the ashes are administered onto your forehead? The, the priest or the minister will say, Thou art dust, and to dust ye shall return. And you say, Amen. Amen. So um, that's, there's a, I don't know, a threefold encouragement for us to think about throughout the duration of Lent that'll help us in our focus on that. Do you, can you name those? Those disciplines are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Correct. Yeah, you can really, um, if our listeners want to get a really cool teen version that explains Lent in two minutes, you can go to bustedhalo.com, and there's a two-minute explanation. I saw it on my memories on Facebook this morning, and I thought I would, you know, make you your head roll around and say, don't ask me to do stuff right before the show and to play this, but it's all video, not audio, so you dodge the bullet there. But yes, so listeners, if you are a teenager at heart like me and things like this relate to you, go to bustedhalo.com. Great two-minute video, and at the end of it, there's a calendar that you can download and click on, and it just gives you something every day to incorporate into your uh, Lenten and sacrifice. You know, something Speaking that of, you can do audio and every day for Lent that we're asking people to join us in is our Lenten Listening Challenge, our Red Sea Lenten Listening Challenge. I heard it's Stephanie very and easy. Trey talk about it yesterday It's on very show. easy. All you have to do is add an hour of Catholic radio into your day. You don't have to sign a pledge. You don't have to come and uh, you know put your name on a list at your local parish or you don't even get have to email in your inbox. you don't have to get anything in your inbox you can just listen and if you want to tell people about that you're doing it we do have some social media resources and and little uh, tactics that you can use but ultimately it comes down to listening because we think that the programming on Catholic radio can help you, carry out those Lenten disciplines of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Not substitute form. We're not trying to say do this instead of giving up uh, giving up chocolate or giving up beer or giving up coffee or um, adding, you know, praying an extra rosary each day. But we think if you have that hour, that additional hour of Catholic radio in your life, you're going to be better equipped uh, you're going to be more inspired. You're going to be more convicted. You're going to understand better why you're asked to do those things during Lent. So join us in that Lenten listening challenge. Clergy, priests, and deacons, if you're listening this morning, we're asking you, please talk about this in your homilies. This Encourage weekend. your your flock to, to join you in this and um, be, an, be an example in that way, in addition to all the other ways that you already are a good a good example for us, and be a good example to your fellow Catholics, and and try this out. Try to see if this, you know. Pray about this. See if this sounds like something you want to do. And we would be heartily, heartily um, encouraged and gratified if you if you were to take on this uh, Lenten listening challenge. You can find out more at our website, redsearadio.org, 
And man, Judy, we're getting down the nitty gritty. We got to get through some of our other events. We have to talk about a couple of things. And the benefit is the first thing that I think we should mention in our Waco listening area. Yeah. So we we, um, are going to have a great way for you to enjoy the Easter season in Waco. And that's our annual Red Sea Radio KYAR benefit dinner, April 25th, Thursday, April 25th, starting at 6.30 p.m., Get in there and come in here, Tom Peterson. And, you know, it's going to be right at the beginning of baseball season. We're going to have a um, day at the ballpark kind of a theme there uh, to sort of complement what we did in the Brazos Valley with the tailgating theme for football season. So much fun. So we're going to have a, a baseball you know, come out to the ballpark, take me out to the ball game kind of a thing, a theme. And Tom Peterson is going to talk to us about, again, the Saints, the Hall of Fame, if you will, of the of the Catholic Church, and how we can imitate them and why we need to imitate them more today or as much today as, as ever. Great. So that's that is Thursday, April 25th. Go to redsearadio.org, get your table or tickets. You can sponsor a table, invite all your friends and family to come with you. You can get individual tickets, $25 a piece. And have some come out and do it. Great music. If you heard the lead-in to our Red Sea Roundup, and when we go to commercial break, you'll hear Kyle Sincouli, mm-hmm. a wonderful Catholic musician, mm-hmm. uh, local to the Waco listening area. Um, it's I went last year and planned to go this year, too. It's a great time just to be in a room full of energy and joy and hope and supporting uh, our wonderful Catholic radio station. Yes, indeedy. And then finally, (laughs) Palestine listeners, we wouldn't forget about you. We know that you are doing your 33 days to morning glory. You're right in the middle of that. right at the beginning of that effort at consecrating the station, KINF there to Our Lady. And you can pray pray those prayers with the recorded spots on the radio. There's also audio that you can listen to on our website, redsearadio.org, to join in. Even if you didn't start on February 20th, you can still take up that practice right now and go until it ends on March 25th, which is the um, day of consecration. Yes. <laughs> we could be on the same team when we're playing charades. Or mm-hmm, I, love, mm-hmm. I love that. We did very good. Did Total you, consecration. Did you have anything else about uh, Lent that you yes, wanted to I run do. through? Uh, I'm going to, I'm certainly not a website researcher kind of person. I like, as you'll see, I have all these papers because I don't want to be struggling with my phone. But um, another thing on my Facebook memories today was catholiccompany.com, mm-hmm. a wonderful little article, very concise, three different ways to explain your ashes on your forehead. You know, if you go to Mass... And go out anywhere, people, oh, you have something on your forehead. And I mm-hmm. think we all need to be very versed in a great way, you know, encapsulate a nice little answer to somebody who might say, why do y'all do that? Is it, and really, because only Catholics can come and get ashes on their forehead, right? Oh, no. 
Au contraire. Au contraire. <laughs> no, that's something anybody can come and uh, receive ashes, and, and people do. Do. Yep. Yes. It's not uncommon for uh, here locally in Bryan KBTX to show up and show it on the uh, local news. It, mm-hmm. it is a, a well-known day, and I want to, uh, as always, pray for our priests who will be bumping it up with extra services and everything, um, and for us to always remember to be welcoming to people who may not be regular mass goers or whatever the reason that people come together in our community, mm-hmm. we really need to remember to be welcoming and inviting um, Looking forward throughout Lent for our, the practices, uh, most churches have celebration of Stations of the Cross on Fridays. It's a wonderful way to continue our Lenten sacrifices. So we're going to go to break pretty quick, and I want to uh, remind you to stick with us over the break and listen to an interview, Isaiah Minky. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, I would like to let you know that this is a recording of an interview actually being recorded on Thursday, February the 21st to be aired on, I think, the 27th. I don't even remember. There's not a calendar in front of me, but I am your host, Judy Como, and I have been interiorly challenged to bring about a spirit of hope in these interviews. Um, Just so encouraged by the word hope. And I'm excited to introduce to you listeners, Isaiah Minke. Hey, Isaiah. Hi, Judy. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, I'm just so excited. Uh, Isaiah, I first met as an intern here at the radio station. Couldn't predict how many years ago that was. And then had the pleasure of running into you a couple of weeks ago at DCYC, and I just knew at that point that we had to have this divine appointment to talk to each other (laughs) on the radio. So uh, for you listeners, our uh, guest, Isaiah Minky, is at Holy Trinity Seminary in the Irving, Dallas area. He's in his second year. 
and I can't think of anyone who could be a voice or speak about hope than someone who's in the seminary. So uh, what do you think about that, Isaac? Yeah, first of all, thank you for your invitation. Uh, I only wish I could be in the studio with you right now. I have uh, have so many great memories from there. Um, But yeah, uh, it's it's been a great journey thus far. It's kind of crazy to uh, think that I'm almost through my, my second year, like halfway through my time, uh, the four, half my, halfway through my four-year program uh, here at Holy Trinity, and um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I'm uh, really enjoying it, and I uh, feel like I'm thriving here, so that's, that's always a good sign. Oh, wonderful. Well, Thaddeus also wants to say hello. and uh... Yeah, how, do, how are you doing, big guy? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks, Thaddeus. And I mean la- that literally because you are a uh, tall drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you leading are you leading the uh, the class in terms oh, of uh, well, he height? did lead the procession at DCYC with the processional cross. So I don't know if that was a throw to the height of everybody else that was there or not. But uh, you did you were a presence, That's my good. friend. That's good. Yeah, it's uh, really tends, really good to hear from you. To be, tends to be my fate. I uh, like growing up when I was altar serving. I was always like the tallest one, so mm-hmm. I usually got stuck with with the crucifix for better or for worse. There you so. go. Well, speaking <laughs> but, of growing up, um, t- tell us a little bit about your uh, your childhood, your upbringing. Uh, what got you from there to here today, talking with us? Yeah. So um, I am uh, born and raised. From Bryan College Station, Texas. So I'm uh, a native in many senses of the word. Um, I was born in uh, at St. Joseph's Hospital, and um, both my and uh, I can't say that I'm an Aggie, unfortunately. Uh, I had to give that up, right? Well, but we won't my, hold uh, it against you. <laughs> but uh, the Lord had different plans, right? But mm-hmm. um, both my parents are Aggies, and then I have uh, some some grand some grandparents, and then uh, I think at least one great grandparent who's who an Aggie as well. So. Uh, definitely goes back in the family. Um, but yeah, and then my home parish is St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, of course. And I've been there, I was baptized there, and uh, been there ever since. So pretty much all my sacraments have been there, uh, First Communion and Confirmation. So it's very much, very much my home. I wanted and, to jump uh, in, Isaiah, before you really got rolling and just remind you that our Waco <laughs> listeners are really happy that you're not an Aggie. Right. <laughs> they're, they're perfectly fine that, that you're not an Aggie. So, well, it, it, it's great. I mean, it, that gives me a flexibility of spirit, as they That's say. Right. I, I, can, I can minister in a variety of places. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> that, that, that might serve me well. But um, yeah, and I think um, a, a lot of my my faith journey is is very much tied to uh, to St. Thomas as well. And uh, in fact, I think that's that's really where my my journey of discipleship uh, began, uh, which led to my journey of discernment as well. Um, let's see, I think I, I, I actually thought about this, of uh, when did I actually become a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, because we, of course, for us cradle Catholics, we, you know, we're born, uh, we're born in the Church, we were baptized as infants a lot of times, right? And so we're raised with it, but then um, I think there's always a time when you can identify when you really choose it for yourself, that, uh, that I choose to be Catholic and I'm going to, I'm going to follow Christ in my life, uh, with, uh, and try to love him with all, all my, all my heart, my soul, my mind. Um, and so I think for a lot of us, it's confirmation. Uh, but then there's different, you know, everyone has their different timings. So I like to think about that of when, when was my first time, um, when I became a disciple? 
And uh, I think it was when it was back when Father Michael O'Connor was uh, was pastor at St. Thomas. So he, he's actually the, the priest who gave me uh, my first communion. And um, I remember, I, I don't exactly know when it would, would have been, but it would have been around 2009 or 2010, um, when I was I was around 13, at uh, 12 or 13 at the time. And I remember he gave this this amazing homily. Um, and of course, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a wonderful preacher, and um, he gave this really passionate homily about the Eucharist and how a lot of times we can kind of be, be idle about it when think treat it like it's not a big deal. But but as he put it, it is a big deal. Like he, he emphasized that, that this is really Jesus Christ. This is this is him present in, in the sacrament. And um that really hit me, you know, as a as a young person and such. So uh I remember that really called me to think about it. Like, do I actually believe this? Do I actually follow this? Mm. Well, so then actually shortly after that we had a we had a book sale, I think I remember. We had like an Ignatius Press uh book sale. And um it and it went it went so well, I think that's when they founded the uh, Aquinas Catholic Books and Gifts, like the, the bookstore oh. after um and so I of course I, I, some listener might correct me about, about the sequence of the story, but I think this is when it happened. Um around two thousand and two thousand nine or ten. So um but yeah, so that's when they found made the bookstore, just in that little corner room off to the side, um, out in the out in the atrium, outside the sanctuary. And um and of course I've always loved books. I love I've always loved reading. And um and so really for the first time, um, I could get my hands quickly and easily on great Catholic material, on great Catholic books. Um and so it was I mean it, We'd come out of mass, and I could peruse the bookstore, and I could I could find things, and uh, and it was great. It was it was such a it was such a great way to nourish my faith. And I want to give a shout out to the bookstore. It's been amazing, uh, <laughs> really instrumental uh, to my faith and experience. I hope you guys stay around for a long time. Oh, me too. Uh, it's a wonderful oh, yeah. gift to the, even though I very seldom go to St. Thomas Aquinas um, during the weekend. Um, it is just a wonderful gift to know that I can just hop on over there for a, a book in particular or religious items or uh, anything else. It's a, it's a really gift to the whole Brazos Valley. So Aquinas Books and Gifts is a gift to to the Brazos Valley. Oh, true. What you're saying. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, yeah, but so then um, when I was uh, when I was doing that, I was you know, getting books and such, um, and I think one of the first things I read was Matthew Kelly. Actually, mm. I was um, rediscovering Catholicism. I'm a big fan. And, um, oh, of course. And then, um, but then also because a lot of my friends were Protestants, uh, you know, um, evangelicals mostly, and um, and not only that, the very um, very committed Protestants, right? very um, very committed in in their faith, and I, of course, I really admire that as they and really. Um, uh, really not shy about sharing their faith and all that. So I wanted to, that's when I, I got started in apologetics. I wanted to be able to explain the faith to them. I wanted to be able to explain uh, the truth of, of the Catholic faith to them. And so that's when I started, of course, um, getting into Catholic Answers, their books. And of course, uh, this radio station was also awesome for that, uh, listening to Catholic Answers live. Um, that's really where I learned how to talk about the faith, was listening to uh, Jimmy Aiken or uh, or Tim Staples, you know, on answering questions on Catholic Answers Live. It was, um, and uh, I remember um, a lot of times. I think it was 
you know, growing up when we had a we had this we had a co-op for a couple of years. Co-op, mm-hmm. such a homeschooler, right? Which I, yeah, we, I was homeschooled, but <laughs> um, but uh, we we were driving back in the in the evening after it after it's over in the afternoon, and uh, Catholic Answers would be on, and so we just listened to it, and so. Um, I learned all these all these answers, these reasons for for my faith and all that. Uh, so anyway, and then um, once I once I kind of learned the the faith, the doctrine part, I started getting into uh, the life of prayer, of learning um, different me- methods of prayer or ways of praying. Um, and so then during this time, right, thir- uh, 12, 13, and then fourteen, this is when I really um, my faith was really nourished, and I really made the commitment of like, yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm a disciple. I'm following Christ, and uh, this is what I want to do. And of course, that was really, um, I think that was only um, confirmed, obviously, in the sacrament of confirmation, where that became uh, became official. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my, my personal faith journey. And then through this process of, you know, I'm reading a lot, I'm learning about the faith, learning about what the Church teaches, learning about prayer, building a prayer life myself with, with God. And uh, I start to get these hints, right? Often very subtle, uh, very um, very small, but uh, these hints, oftentimes in prayer, of, hey, the priesthood. Maybe maybe you think about the priesthood. Of um, I think it started because these things I was learning would be the things I'd be learning as a seminarian and then teaching as a priest. Um, so... That I think that's what first attracted me uh, was the um, the role of the teacher in in the priest as a pastor, right? And so that's what first got my curiosity, and then um, kind of uh, drawn to that that curiosity. So I, of course, I got in touch with Father Jonathan Rea, our vocations director, mm-hmm. and he he was visiting our parish one time, and so I talked with him afterwards, and um, and. He, he said, like, well, why don't we uh, go ahead and meet? Because he, he was in town fairly regularly, uh, maybe every every um, every month or maybe every two months. And so we started meeting. And um, and then he invited me to uh, Project Andrew. And I think we went with a parish group, uh, Project Andrew at the cathedral, right? Uh, one day at the sermon event. And then I started, um, I had a spiritual director during this time. I, I got a spiritual director. Uh, kind of go through this process, and um, and then I went on the uh, the Heart of Jesus retreat, which our, our diocese does every year in in December. And uh, it's kind of funny. I actually I ended up going on that retreat uh, three times in a row. No, <laughs> and I, I don't. I actually don't know if anyone's broken that record. But uh, <laughs> in fact, I think by the third time, really by the third time, I was pretty sure I was going to seminary. Um, but then. Uh, some of, the, some of the seminarians there, they said, dude, if you show up for a fourth time, we're just going to hand you the application. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, they, they weren't wrong, because the next year I entered seminary. But um, anyway, getting ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I took active steps, and I was meeting, um, it was, was kind of over this three-year period, right, uh, during high school, uh, when I started um, actively, when I was actively discerning, and talking with Father Jonathan throughout uh, those three years. And, um, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, I found that, 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 uh, experience, that curiosity, that, that nudge, you might say, mm-hmm. that I, that I felt towards the priesthood just kind of grew and was, uh, gradually confirmed. And so, um, eventually I, um, I got to the point where it wasn't just something 
that I felt like God might want for me, but it, it also became a desire of my heart, something that I wanted, mm-hmm. or that um, in a way, like I felt that maybe my, my desire was being aligned with God's, right? And so, and then it actually gave me joy. And uh, I think this actually came to a head most clearly when I when I visited a seminary. Uh, I visited St. Joseph's Seminary in, uh, in Louisiana, in Covington, Covington. Uh, mm-hmm. which is which is the sorry. Yeah, which is the um, it's the other seminary in uh, Louisiana that we send to for uh, for college seminary. Um, so I visited there, and I was actually um, during doing a time of uh, adoration uh, by myself. I was praying night prayer, and um, at this point, I, I I felt this confirmation, but then I still had these kinds of these doubts or these these um, things I wasn't sure about, right? Of of the call. And so I'm, I'm praying in adoration, and um, I, I leave, I, I stand up to leave, um, and then I suddenly, I, I, I can't, or it's like I was, like I was stuck there. Mm-hmm. And I really, in that moment, felt God's presence. I was really aware of Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. And it was, it, it was an interesting experience, because um, I kind of compare it to the Transfiguration. It's like... Um, having this, this person you, you've walked with this whole time and all of a sudden he's changed right before your eyes into something, um, something more glorious than you imagine. And I can't, I can't really explain it, but it, but it was, um, in that moment, it felt really real that Jesus felt really, uh, really real and like physically present there. I became aware of that. Oh, that's, that's and, amazing. Um, Isaiah, yeah. I just want to mention to our listeners, uh, if you're just now joining us, my guest is Isaiah Minky, and he is a seminarian in our diocese. Um, Isaiah, just so many things about your story um, has some touchstones, of course, that in a very different time in my life and in a very different way, but those... Uh, touchstones of when you talked about being a disciple and how that came about and, you know, you making your faith your own and then talking about discernment and, um, you know, all of these are things that everyone that's listening can apply that to their life as to whether they can see it at some point or things to look at, look for at some other point in their lives. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, a grown woman, uh, much older than you are, and you're you've had these experiences at, at a very young age, and I just am so blown away by you're so eloquent, also at at explaining it to us, um, so you can pick up in your adoration at in Covington at St. Joseph's from there. But I just wanted to hmm. add add my thoughts thus far of what you've been talking about. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, I think the journey of discipleship has, uh, because it's the same God, it's the same. We're following the same person. It's going to have those same touchstones for for every for every single person. Uh, of course, it's going to look different because we each have our own different vocation, our own different way of of pursuing discipleship. But uh, but yeah, I think it's we definitely have that that one common vocation, which is holiness in discipleship. And so it's going to look very similar for, for everyone. I wanted to add uh, Isaiah definitely. that, uh, the fact that you're articulate generally, um, is, is significant here. And it adds to the, um, 
believability and the credibility of your story about what happened to you in Covington that your words kind of fail you at that point in describing what what <laughs> happened to you 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 don't you don't have the same kind of ability to uh, crystallize and encapsulate and get right at what you're trying to say when you're describing that that moment and I think because at all other times you are very much able to do that it lends a, a certain it, it lends a higher level of credibility to to that experience and that mm-hmm. I think that will serve you well in your in your priesthood God willing mm-hmm. Amen. yeah well it, it definitely was the case of it was an experience that I couldn't really put into words I mean I, I you can maybe describe describe feelings or describe impressions but um, I think because it was um, such a such a it, it was a depth of encounter that I, mm-hmm. I wasn't used to mm-hmm. um, but yeah actually in that moment my first response was actually uh, like interiorly was one of uh, fear mm-hmm. um, and actually not not a kind of terrified fear of a fear of danger or anything like that but I think um, I mean I, I relate to like the disciples and again, in that moment of the transfiguration, like they had that, that awe, that, that fear, uh, because they were experiencing that presence of God. That gift of the Holy um, Spirit, mm-hmm. wonder and awe. Yeah. Fear of the True. Lord. Yeah. And so, um, so actually by this time I was, like I said, I, I was like standing to leave and then I actually got this impression of, um, as if God were telling me, sit down. <laughs> like, in other words, we, we have more to talk about. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, like, oh okay. Um, but, um, and so then I, I, um, now when I talk about this, in terms of these, maybe these inspirations or words, um, I didn't hear them audibly, of course. And it's, it's even difficult to describe, you know, how I got the impression, but, um, but it just kind of happened that way. But, um, I was, I kind of felt drawn up to, um, to look at the crucifix above the tabernacle. And I got the sense as if God was telling me, that's what I want you to do, uh, looking at, as I was looking at the crucifix. Mm. So, I was con- so I was confused. Okay, well, what does that mean, uh, Jesus? Because that can, <laughs> that can mean a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Um, and so I didn't get words this time, but I got the sense clearly that, for me, that meant uh, the priesthood, of that kind of that laying down of, 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 of one's life uh, for uh, for the salvation of the world, and then the priests, you know, participate in that. Um, of course, we all participate that in, in our own way. But then I got the sense that it was in this case towards the priesthood. Of what I had been wrestling with was was true. Um, and in that moment, I the, that fear that I mentioned actually turned to joy and to peace, mm-hmm. and um, again in, a, in an inexpressible way. And um, and so, and that was that was like the big moment, the kind of the turning point for uh, in my discernment. I think that was the time when I was really, really sure. Oh, okay, all that all that I've been exploring now for you know, drawn in this drawn out process of, of discernment, um, I, I feel confirmed in this. I, I can move forward. And so that was in November of 2016. So then December of uh, of 2016, I uh, talked told Father Johnson about it, and then uh, we would move forward with the application process. And so then the following spring, I was accepted, 
uh, to seminary. And then uh, fall 2017, I, I entered seminary here at uh, Holy Trinity. And um, and it's been it's been an adventure. I, I will say that. Uh, in fact, my my first year when when we got here, right, we're freshmen. Um, and then Father Swift, Father uh, Father James Swift, uh, the Ascension priest, is our is our rector up here. And uh, he told us uh, really the three things you need to you need to know, or the three things you need to do as a seminarian, is one, open your heart; two, invite Christ in; and then three embrace the adventure. Um, and that's, that's stuck with me, particularly the third one of embrace the adventure of, uh, <laughs> because it's true. Like even in just two years, I've had so many different, um, experiences of, uh, experiences I wouldn't have expected to have, of um, visiting parishes, um, everywhere from the, you know, urban metropolis of Dallas to the, uh, the country, small country parishes and in, in our, our own diocese. And, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of cultures too, and um, going meeting different people, um, and also learning so many so many different things uh, from so many different thinkers. Of course, we're learning philosophy here uh, in in our college years, and um, yeah, it, it's just been it's been it's been a, quite an adventure already, and um, so I, I hope I can remain faithful to that. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that sense of uh, place. Uh, that I do feel that I am in the right place, and uh, as, soon as, as long as that feeling continues, I'll I'll stay on it. Um, you can be assured yeah. of our our prayers of support and uh, encouragement uh, for you and for those around you. Um, as I mentioned when I ran into you at DCYC, and part of what I hope to uh, maybe spend the rest of our time talking about is um, hope. And uh, the theological virtue of hope. And uh, just a quick little Google search can uh, give me um, a definition that says uh, an expectation of and a desire of receiving, refraining from despair, and capability of not giving up. And I just really love that little, it's like a sweet, innocent little definition of hope. Um if you are a listener to our radio station, we uh, try to have a lot of information. Uh, as you were saying, Catholic Answers Live, learning about the faith, but we also want to represent things that are going on in this world. And um, in a time of darkness and the scandal that's going on, um, I just wanted to have a message of hope that we can listen to and I would assume that a man that's in the seminary is probably can speak more than my experience of uh, how the scandal is affecting you, how your formators are helping you with that, and how you personally feel, and where hope fits into all of that. Mm. Yeah, um, I can definitely I can definitely say uh, that has been the case. Um, Especially with you know the challenges of, of this summer, um, I think or summer summer 2018 I think will will be remembered for uh, for being an especially difficult time uh, with uh, revelations about um, Colonel McCarrick, of course, and then the Pennsylvania grand jury and it, it, especially in the August felt like it just kept coming and coming right mm-hmm. and um, 
And so actually in, in the summer, um, I was assigned to uh, work at the pastoral center in, um, in, in Austin, uh, Bishop's office and all that. Um, so I actually didn't hear very much about things that were, that were going on. Uh, I mean, I heard vaguely about, um, about the revelations and such, but it, um, I guess I didn't realize what it was or I didn't have time to look into it further. Um, so I didn't really get a, get a chance to realize what was going on until, um, until August, I think when it especially broke out. Um, and this was like right before, um, right before I came back to school. Um, and so hearing about the Pennsylvania grand jury and, uh, and all that and kind of, and of course, at this time, writers are kind of talking about uh, McCarrick and how um, how prominent it was, you know. It, and it it was it was disheartening. I mean, it was um, it was difficult. Um, now, at the same time, I would say it wasn't entirely unfamiliar. Um, oh, that sounds heartbreaking to say, but uh, I mean, it, having gone through this, um, I mean, again, like when I was reading about apologetics and such, uh, and reading about, about the faith and what people said about it. You know, I heard about, I learned about, um, what went on in 2002, right. Uh, the different, um, different revelations came forward there. So, um, in a sense, we've already dealt with this as a church, um, a lot of it. Um, so in, in some ways it wasn't new, but it was, it was still difficult nonetheless to, to hear about it and read about it. Um, Although at the same time, the experience of of our formation, our formation uh, staff at the uh, at the, at the seminary, um, which for those of you who don't know, um, every seminarian has a has a formation advisor that they're assigned to, and so we meet with them regularly to um, go over how how seminary is going and our different goals and such. And then we have the rector, of course, who's the head of the seminary. And so um, in August. When we when, right when we got back uh, to school, the start of my second year, um, one of the first uh, conferences he gave. Um, so we have our Sunday conference, what we do uh, every evening, uh, where the rector or one of the other formation uh, priests will uh, will give a conference on a particular topic. And so uh, Father Swift, our rector, devoted the entire um, that first conference talking about the scandal, talking about what was happening. Um, so we, so we could know the facts, we could know what was going on. And, um, and as he, as he put it, we were entering, entering this year, um, under a dark cloud, as he put it. So, and it was true. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was a difficult time, but at the same time, he, he said that we should always, uh, first of all, he reiterated, like when talking about sexual abuse, we should always, uh, remember the victims and care for the victims. And I think that's, that's definitely true. It's always true uh, because I think they're the ones who suffer the most. Um, and then secondly, we shouldn't let, he was speaking to us as seminarians, we shouldn't let uh, this uh, distract us from our vocation, which is um, to, in this moment, to be trained and educated to be the best priest uh, we can be someday, God willing. Um, and so he, it was really that message of hope of, um, he also told us like, don't let this shake you, but rather let this encourage you, encourage you to be more holy, more, um, more loving, more self-giving, more giving of yourself 
so that you can so you you can be um, the better priest for uh, for the next generation in many ways, right? Um, so you can in in some ways be the ones to fix this. Uh, so yes, it was difficult, but then at the same time, um, I got the sense uh, among my classmates and among uh, all of us at seminary that we were actually galvanized because of it, of seeing the mistakes that um, that other other priests and bishops have made in the past. Um, we wanted uh, we wanted to one make sure it doesn't happen again, but also personally uh, to be that the holy priest, the holy pastor. Um, the best priest we can be. So I think in that sense, it, it gave us greater motivation of um, wanting to, wanting to be better or um, ma- again, made us more intentional with our discipleship. And, uh, and so I think that was definitely uh, a fruit that came out of, came out of that time and out of that difficulty. Wow. That's, it's a remarkable uh, perspective that probably wouldn't, wouldn't have come to me without our conversation. Uh, how many men are in um, formation with you right now? Well, at Holy Trinity, we currently have around uh, 60 men uh, from, I believe, 12 or 13 different dioceses. Uh, so we are pretty pretty spread out uh, across the country. Um, but yeah, about around 60 men. Mm-hmm. And um, are various uh, places in their classes. So you, you have two more years. Uh, how, how many is in your class? Oh, in my class. Yes. Um, you know, actually, I actually lost count. Um, cause we had a, we had a couple of guys, uh, leave over after winter break, which is pretty normal. Um, you know, guys do discern out that, um, no, this, this isn't, isn't what God's calling them to, which that's very natural. Mm-hmm. But I think currently we have around, um, 12 or so. Oh, praise the Lord. So blessed. I, I know we do have a big, uh, the those that are in the seminary here in the diocese and uh, beyond, we do have a big number, and uh, that is that is so encouraging. So we, we have a couple of minutes left, um, Isaiah, and um, wanted, uh, so I wanted you to be able to express how you would have a conversation with someone who maybe would come to you with some a heavy heart or discouraged or um, I'm I'm going to leave the Catholic Church and mm. what would be a conversation what would that sound like? Right. Well, I think what I would say is that I would I would gently suggest to them, okay, if you're if you're leaving the church because these certain leaders or people in the church have violated your trust. And that's definitely true. And I would first affirm that, that that's, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's no small thing. That's a great wound. And at the same time, if you're willing to leave for that reason, I would ask you, where is your trust ultimately? Because, okay, the church the um, the leadership of the church uh, violated violated your trust, but are you leaving uh, then because you place too much trust in the human side of, of the church? Because the church is more than the particular bishops or priests uh, who who run it. The church is the mystical body of Christ. So there's there's a heavenly component 
to the church. There's a, there's a holy component to the church, which is bigger than mm-hmm. any time, any place, and any person. And so, well, let's think about all the all the crisis that that has gone on in the church from uh, for centuries, because yeah. we've been around a long time. I mean, think of all the persecutions we suffered under uh, under the Roman emperors, or think about all the political instability throughout the Middle Ages. Uh, and then there was even a time when Napoleon had the Pope exiled, and it looked like the papacy wasn't even going to continue. And uh, but it did. Well, think about all the times when there were so many sins that and scandals that wrecked the church all the way up to the papacy, and and think about how the church continued in spite of all of that. And, and why did it continue? Because it stands for more than itself. It stands for Christ. In fact, it, it is Christ, the body of Christ. Like we uh, were even now on earth united to him who is in heaven. So to give all that up, that relationship, that, um, that discipleship, that longing, that love for Christ, to give it up for one crisis in one point of time, doesn't make sense. Um, and to and to give it up for human failings, not because you like to give up the church, not because you you disbelieve anything that she teaches, or that you disagree with the teachings of Christ, but to give it up because some leaders in the church fail to live up to their own teachings. That doesn't make sense either. So um, I think that's what we need to we need to examine is where is our trust ultimately? Are we Catholic? Are we followers of the church because we, we only believe and trust in the church or do we actually go deeper and do we actually uh, believe in Christ? Are we actually a disciple of Christ? Um, Do we look not just to the earthly, but to the heavenly? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that we all need to be versed because we're going to be asked those questions. We may even be asking ourselves that. Um, and those, you know, we we need to be ready to give a reason for our hope and uh, all of that. Um, well, Isaiah, I, I know this is, I'm not surprised at all that our, our time has flown by. Um, and I thank you so much for finding time to have this conversation with me and our listeners today and for your uh, yes to the Lord. I'm going to read the, because I don't know it by heart, but I'm going to end our show with the act of hope. Oh, my God, relying on thy infinite goodness and promises, I hope to obtain pardon for my sins, the help of thy grace, and life everlasting through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Redeemer. Thank you. 